about the way you behave towards that person. Jesus said, love your enemies. He's not saying feel all mushy about them and feel all nice about them. He's saying behave in a way that is in their best interests. Does that make sense? Because sometimes in relationships, you don't feel all mushy. In fact, quite the opposite. But it's not about your feeling. It's about your behavior. Sometimes you say, well, I have tried, but my spouse, for example, is not interested. I've tried to make peace, but they won't. And the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing where he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So sometimes it's not possible. You see, forgiveness is unilateral. Forgiveness is about me. It's about you. It doesn't matter what the other person does. The Lord requires us to forgive unconditionally. But reconciliation takes two. Reconciliation with God takes our cooperation. Does that make sense? Reconciliation with another does take two. So hence the scripture, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And so I think again the scripture is saying you need to do your utmost do your best to do your part to be reconciled. Sometimes because of the other person's behavior, that is not possible. But it should be a priority for us that we do everything we can to be reconciled. And so that's the priority, the P of the priority. The R, I want to say, is to remain in his love. And because there's this inextricable link between our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others, Jesus says, in order to maintain this relationship then you must love others. He, again, a scripture which you will know. He says, as, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's that relationship. Jesus talked about his relationship with his Father. Now remain in my love, he says. How do you do that? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And Jesus is talking about maintaining our relationship with him. How do we do that? Well, we make sure that our relationship, he commands us that our relationship with each other is right. And it's as we experience his love for us, we'd want to respond out of him. We're not talking legalism here. We're not talking about law so much as relationship. As we experience his love for us, we'll want to respond to that love and say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to please you. What must I do to live in a way that will please you? Well, he tells us, love each other. Love others. We had a, a letter just recently uh, from someone that uh, had the tone of being arrogant and obnoxious and accusatory. And everything within me wanted to write back straight away and put him in his place and say, who do you think you are? that you should say, oh, blah, 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 blah. Now, I just wanted to, 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 to respond uh, fiercely. My blood boiled. <clears throat> and there'll be times, of course, when to love others will be extremely difficult. There'll be times when the other person doesn't deserve to be loved, and they don't deserve to be forgiven. There'll be times when people will use and abuse you. Why should you love them? Well, because Jesus loves us, and he asks us to love them. It's being obedient, not for their sake. It's being obedient for his sake. Does that make sense? Sometimes you will think, well, why should I treat them well? Look how they treat me. It's not for them that you do it. 
We love for His sake, out of obedience to that command. So not only should we remain in Him, uh, but also the R stands for revelation. And again, another scripture I want to look at. If we claim we have fellowship with Him, that fellowship is being together, isn't it? Being connected with Him. And yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, that's in His light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. And so again, you see that, that link between our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And, and I'm sure you've experienced this, folks, that when... Uh, you walk with the Lord and you're talking with Him and you're trusting Him and you're close to Him, it automatically results in a closeness with those people around you. You experience that? I'm sure you have. There is that connection. And why is this? Why, why, is that, why does it have that result? Well, I think it's part of walking in the light and our actions become visible. Nothing is hidden when we're walking in Him, in His light. And of course, that's particularly true at home. Because, you know, when you come to church, you can put on a face, the face that you, is expected of you, nice Christian face. But when you're at home, in those close and vulnerable relationships, the real self comes out. Is that right? Am I the only one where that happens? <clears throat> and somehow, walking in that light exposes the cracks. We can put on a show here, but not at home. And somehow, walking in the light uh, reveals those things. And so there is that revelation. And if we're honest about our faith in God, of our relationship with Him, we'll be honest about what's going on in our relationships, and particularly those close relationships at home. So there's something of a revelation. Let's move on to the A, the A of the prey. And I think this is absolutely vital that um, there's access to His grace. There's not only revelation... About walking in the light, there is access to His grace that enables us to live as He asks us to live in terms of these relationships. As I said earlier, there, there might be a relationship or some relationships which you find particularly difficult, maybe impossible. But I, I do believe what the Scripture is saying is as we walk in the Spirit, as we abide in Him, we have access to His grace that enables us to do what is impossible on our own. And again, that famous scripture, uh, you'll know it well, about abiding. The, the, the scripture's about the vine. Remain in me, he says, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You struggling with a relationship? Well, that's normal. That's natural. It's impossible for us to do it. You see, our natural inclination, what the Bible calls the flesh, is to be self-centered, to be self-protecting, to be self-seeking, to be selfish, if you like. And all of those traits will prevent us from having that kind of fellowship. They'll prevent us from being loving and trusting and open and vulnerable and forgiving. And I know in my own experience that my relationship with the Lord has such a direct bearing with my relationship, particularly with my wife and family, that if I'm walking close to the Lord, if I'm not walking close to the Lord, put it that way, 
uh, and I've allowed that old self-flesh nature to creep back in and begin to become a controlling uh, force in my life, then I become irritable, I become easily offended, impatient, demanding, unforgiving, certainly very far from being perfect, not very nice to live with. My wife will tell you that. However, when I submit myself to him and trust him and begin to abide in him, I know and I've experienced it, I'm sure you have as well, that grace and that love and that peace affects how I relate to other people. It's access of his grace. We can't do it on our own. If we are to love and trust and respect other people, then we can only do that really as he enables us to. You see, we can only give what we get. How can I love someone unconditionally if I don't know and I haven't experienced unconditional love for myself? Does that make sense? It's only when I know how much he loves me that out of that fullness I can give that love to other people and give unconditionally because it doesn't depend on that person. It depends on him. Does that make sense? How can I forgive if I don't know what it is to be forgiven. But when I do know what it is to be forgiven, and I think, well, Lord, you've been so gracious to me. How could you forgive me? That actually gives me the grace to be able to forgive someone else. If God can, can forgive me, wow, I can forgive this person. Does that make sense? How can I move towards someone with openness and vulnerability when they've hurt me? Well, if I've known something of the safeness and the refuge, being, being, being God who is my refuge, and I know there's a peace in Him, that enables me to do as He asks me to do. I can move towards someone with vulnerability and openness because my refuge is not in that person or in that relationship. It's in this relationship. Does that make sense? So there's access to His grace. I remember um, a lady whose husband had an affair sitting in, in my counseling room, and she was saying, I know I have to forgive him, but I just can't. She's being honest. She says, I can't do it. And so we talked about this very fact that you cannot do it in yourself. Some situations you can't do in yourself. And uh, she began to turn to the Lord and say, God, if I'm to forgive my husband, then you're going to have to help me. Access to his grace. Sometimes the only way is through him, with his help and his grace. It's in his perfect love that drives out that fear, that brings peace, that allows us to risk lowering the barriers that, that would ask us to, to, to stay safe. You see, if we've been hurt, our natural response is to hold people at arm's length, isn't it? It's to build walls. It's to withdraw. It's to use anger as a, a protection against those people. And the only way that we can lower those barriers, that we can not withdraw and move forward towards people and remove the protective mechanisms of our anger and whatnot, is if we know what it is to know the perfect love of God in our lives. And so, uh, I want to move on to the last point. I'm rushing through these things. I want to talk about the why being Yahweh or yoke. And I'm talking here about the issue of dependency. And by dependency, I mean relying too heavily on a person to meet our own needs, our own legitimate needs to be loved, 
to have a sense of belonging, to have security, self-worth, significance. Those are legitimate needs that God has, has uh, given us. And we can, without consciously realizing it, make another person the source of our happiness and our well-being. And our emotional state becomes linked to that other person and how they treat us. Does that make sense? There are different symptoms of a person who's overly dependent, but let me give you an example, a typical example, of a person who, for example, who's very controlling, critical, demanding, jealous perhaps. And that kind of person very often marries uh, somebody who's compliant, um, finds it very difficult to confront, uh, difficult to say no, maybe something of a rescuer. That's a typical codependent relationship. And I want to say that both are dependent, and both are displaying behavior that is designed to get their needs met from that other person. They're trying to get the acceptance and the love and the approval that they desperately need, but they're looking for it in the wrong place. They're looking for it in that other person. I remember counseling a person who said that their husband was clingy and demanding and jealous and insecure, and it left her feeling trapped and smothered and sucked dry. She says, it's like I can never be enough for my husband. That's symptoms of a, of a dependent relationship. And you see, that relationship is a very close relationship. It's just not a loving relationship. It looks very loving. And if you talk to that person, they say, I desperately love my husband, wife, whatever, whoever it is. But it's not love. <laughs> it's rather need. They desperately need that other person, and they've confused the two. Uh, an illustration that helps me is this, is that uh, this is a very close relationship, two people uh, that cling to each other. The problem with this is it's enmeshed. Uh, one person cannot move without affecting the other person. So if this person's down, guess what the other one is as well? This one's up, this one's up. Does that make sense? That, that describes a codependent relationship where one is dependent on the other. Whereas this is a close relationship, but one is independent of the other. So one can be up, it doesn't affect the other. One can be down, it doesn't affect the other. That's really what uh, God is asking of us. Uh, Larry Crabb uses the illustration of a tick and a dog. He says, uh, sometimes relationships are parasitic. It's like a tick on a dog. It's just taking. That's all it does. It just wants that relationship to get what it can out of it. A tick and a dog. Uh, and he says, he goes on to say that quite commonly in marriages, there are two ticks and no dog. <laughs> And you can understand that that kind of relationship is quite common, by the way. Is, and I think we're all codependent to some de degree. It's a continuum. Um, but just to say that uh, that kind of relationship can't last. Because it's a taking thing. It's a needy thing. So what's the solution? We have to let go of the demand that we put on that other person. That expectation that they come through for our for our needs. We put this demand on people. You should, you must, you ought. Why? Because I'm a needy person and you need it for me. And by the way, very often those oughts and shoulds and musts are true. Maybe that person should love and should respect and should be decent to you. But you cannot make them do that. 
and, by the, and also, they cannot give you what you need because they're not God. Does that make sense? You see, God our Father is our source. He is the only one who can give us what we so desperately need. No one and nothing can fill the thirst in our soul. I loved what Rich said earlier, uh, quoting Piper, that he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And he talked about that donut, that, that empty ring inside of us. Folk, we've all got that empty ring inside of us. We've all got that gap inside of us. And particularly when we look to other people and things of this world to fill that gap. That's the very core of why people have problems. Because they have forsaken God and they've tried to get their needs, get that hole filled with other things. And particularly other people. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. And of course it's right that um, we give and receive love to each other. But the truth is this, no matter who they are, the most loving parent, the most devoted spouse cannot give you what you need. So let it go. Let it go. And when we drink from him, we turn away from looking to that person, looking to that situation, whether it's things of this world or people of this world, we let go at God, we go to him and say, Lord, I'm a thirsty person. I need to know that I'm a loved person. I need to know that I'm a worthwhile person. I need to know that I count for something in this world. And the only way I can get those needs met is if I, by getting it from you. You see, then out of that fullness, and as we begin to get satisfied in Him, and as we drink from Him, we then can become the agent through whom we can give to our spouse or our children or our colleague and whatever. Does that make sense? We become an agent. We drink from Him and give to the other. And so there's uh, an illustration of what I'm talking about. So often, if you replace uh, give, give, from take, take, is our, our uh, codependent relationship where we try and two ticks and no dog. But really what it should be is we receive what we need from the Lord. It's the only person who can give us what we need. And out of that fullness, we then give to our spouse, our children, our colleague. We can give unconditionally because it does not depend on that other person. Does that make sense? And so I want to close this section here by talking about that scripture. Um, so again, a well-known scripture. As I have loved you, there's our relationship with him. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's littered, that link, folk, our relationship with God and relationship with each other is all the way through scripture. But here he's saying, as I've loved you, Jesus is saying, just before he, he died, by the way, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you're my disciples. You'll follow me if you love one another. And so the question and the challenge I want to ask you, um, is that true for you? Do people know that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way you love others and love other Christians? It's the measure, isn't it? It's the mark of a disciple. So I'd like to pray just there, and then we're going to uh, answer some of your questions. Father, I thank you for your amazing love for us. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of what we've been talking about, that you love us in a way that we don't deserve. You love us absolutely unconditionally.
you love us with an, in an unfailing way, a limitless way. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to have the power to grasp that love, that we would know the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of that love, that we would experience deep in our soul. And Lord, out of that love, out of the knowledge of your love, out of the experience of your love, that we would be able to then respond to you in a love for you, in a passion for you, in a, but in a real desire, Lord, to please you, to honor you in the way that we relate to the people around about us. Help us to do that, we pray. Particularly, Lord, we think of those difficult relationships where we find it so hard. But by your grace, we pray that you'd enable us to live in a way that shows other people we are your disciples because we live and we act like you. We pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going to go and move into the question and answer section. Perfect. So I'll, uh, I'll share mics with uh, AD. Thanks so much, Ian, so much for us to take from that. So I'm just going to hit them. Thank you for the people who sent these in during the service and before as well. So in no particular order, the first one, uh, I love my spouse. However, I'm no longer in love. What would your advice be? <clears throat> okay, so I think it comes to the definition of what it means to be loving. Uh, when someone says, I'm no longer in love, what are they saying? I don't feel. And, and folks, that's quite normal because kind of it's a life cycle of a relationship. Um, I think what happens is we get used to each other. We begin to take for granted those things we first appreciated about somebody. Uh, and it kind of wears a bit thin. But in addition to that, of course, uh, as time goes on, because we usually marry people who are different from us, uh, within that, there's a whole lot of conflict that comes in because of those differences. And so when you're feeling irritated and angry, it's, it's hard to feel loving. Isn't that right? And so with a, that kind of combination, it's not atypical for, a, for a, uh, somebody within a couple to say, well, you know what, I don't have the feelings I used to have for my spouse. But the question is, what does it mean to love? Jesus didn't say, like I said earlier, feel all mushy about your enemies. He said, love them. So what I would say to your spouse, doesn't matter what you feel. Well, it does matter, but don't let that dominate and control how you behave. Continue to love your spouse. We, we have been through some tricky times in our relationship. And um, difficult times. And yeah, the feelings certainly... We're not as deep as they were, but we committed to each other. We made that decision. We are not going to take the back door of divorce, and we're going to choose to love each other. And as you do that, folks, guess what? The feelings come. The feelings follow. And so it is uh, choosing to love. Just choose to love unconditionally, and the feelings will follow. Thanks very much for that one. Uh, another one that did come in, uh, linking with obviously a close-knit relationship. What do I do about toxic, manipulative relationships and setting boundaries? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, I think it depends um, on the level of toxicity and the level of manipulation. Um, but 
often in these relationships, um, we try to change the other person, who the manip manipulative, toxic person. And I think as a basic principle in these relationships, we have to stop doing that and concentrate on ourselves. Um, there's often uh, a feeling of being a victim in these relationships um, and operating out of what we call fog, fear, obligation, and guilt. And if you're in that kind of relationship, you probably need some help to be able to see the dynamics that are locking you into this um, fear, obligation, and guilt and acting out of those things. Because as believers, we shouldn't be acting out of fear, obligation, or guilt. Uh, and you need to get free of those patterns of behavior, that dance that you've got into with that person, um, to really have that, uh, your eyes opened as to what is going on there and why you are so susceptible to their manipulation and why you're allowing that toxicity to affect you so much. Because as Ian was talking about, um, we might feel pain in those relationships and people might be able to hurt us, but they should never ever be able to devastate us and to cause us to not be able to function um, in that relationship. So there is a need to set boundaries. I think, again, sometimes um, people can overreact and set a boundary that is so harsh and so strong that it's not loving. And so the boundaries need to be set about what you will or will not do in relationship to that person, um, but they need to be set in love and for the sake of that other person to draw boundaries in the relationship and not allow them to ma manipulate you. Or if you do do what they're wanting you to do, you do it out of a free choice. You don't do it because you're being manipulated. You recognize I'm being manipulated, but you know what? I'm going to do that out of my own free will, not because they're trying to manipulate me. And that is very freeing if you act in love, but from a choice, not because you feel you have to. So, that, I mean, it's a huge subject, this whole thing of codependency and manipulative, manipulative relationships, but I think that's basically what I have to offer. Be firmly grounded in Christ, know who you are, so that even though it might be painful, it's not going to devastate you, you're still strong within yourself. Get help, get counselling to remove the fog, uh, and then you can choose how you want to relate to that person, um, knowing all the dynamics of that relationship. I don't know if Ian wants to add something. <clears throat> yeah, I'll just add a little. Thanks for that, my darling. It was a good answer, Hen. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I think um, quite often people will come to the center having been in a toxic relationship, a dysfunctional relationship, and as a consequence of that relationship, they come in um, very depressed, often not knowing who they are. They've lived, they've spent their whole life trying to please this other person, trying to live up to that other person's expectations and never succeeding. And so that's why they're depressed. They, they, they can't do what they've been trying to do. And so it's quite often that kind of person needs quite a lot of, of counsel, I'd say, someone to walk alongside them to help them to grow in who they are in Christ so that they can be the person that God made them to be. So in a toxic um, relationship quite often it's kind of like this this person dominates this person is playing their part by the way in the relationship quite often as I said earlier in the talk was they quite often compliant 
and they put up with stuff that they shouldn't put up with. And so they're playing their part, but the first step is for this person to grow, find out who they are in the Lord, give them the strength and the power to be able to draw the boundary. And then one final thing I want to say quickly is, do you know that you have an expert in, in boundaries in your congregation now? Did you know that? Uh, Dr. Kim Spivak, who I don't think has been part of your congregation long, but she comes from... <laughs> there we are. <clears throat> you might not have seen that, but Kim st stood up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kim, uh, her training is with the same people who wrote the Boundaries book, uh, Townsend and Cloud. And uh, so, yeah, Kim, she's been helping us at the counseling center, and I'm sure she could help you guys if you needed to be able to draw boundaries. <clears throat> right, the next question is, how can looking at porn and nudity negatively affect your life and relationships? Hmm. Okay, I think this is quite often a male problem, so maybe I should answer it. Um, let me first distinguish between uh, porn and nudity. Uh, I think nudity is a beautiful thing. Am I shocking you? Um, it's the porn is the problem. Uh, and I think the difference is this, is that uh, porn is... It's about that lust. Jesus said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in, in your heart. And so the porn is about getting. It's about trying to satisfy that flesh. Um, and you never will. You never will, which is why it becomes addictive. And um, so uh, let me read this to you, which Paul says in Ephesians. He says, uh, having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You see, when we try and satisfy um, a lust, that flesh, you never can. And so when you look at porn, it uh, will satisfy you for that moment, but it just creates a thirst for more and more and more. And so serial killer Bundy, who ended up uh, raping and, and murdering women, started by looking at porn. Does that make sense? And so why is it destructive? Well, it's, it's lust. It's not love. Uh, and why I say nudity is, 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 is not wrong. Nudity is how God's made us. And uh, it's about praising and glorifying in the, the beauty that God has given. Does that make sense? There's a difference. One is about giving. The other is about trying to satisfy our flesh. I don't know if that answers the question. I think it does. And you would say in nudity is to be celebrated, but in a marriage relationship. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Great. Um, we're probably going to be five minutes longer, guys, but I think these are great questions. We need to go through them. And it was my fault for um, <laughs> telling Ian the wrong timing. Uh, does, a strong, does a strong desire not to reconcile indicate unforgiveness? Yes. <laughs> a strong desire not to reconcile. Um, yes, I would say if the one party is wanting reconciliation and the other one isn't, um, obviously there is a forgiveness issue, but there might be lots of other issues at work there as well. Um, fear of the other person not really being able to change, perhaps. Um, 
fear that um, it's all just going to happen all over again. There could be lots of factors that would um, cause a person to hesitate to reconcile with someone. So um, I don't know if there's any short answer to that. It depends on the circumstances. Why would you not want to reconcile with someone? I think the only reason would be because you doubt the sincerity of their repentance, perhaps, or their approach to you. Because as Christians, we should be willing to open ourselves and be vulnerable to try again. So if someone is not willing, then there's obviously something at work deeper there. Just to, I think, to reinforce that, um, what I said earlier, forgiveness is unilateral. It's obligatory as us Christians. God has forgiven us. We need to forgive. Reconciliation takes two. So sometimes uh, you might want to reconcile, but the other person um, maybe continues in the what I call deal-breaking behavior. Maybe it's an affair that continues and continues and continues. Well, how can you have a relationship if the other person doesn't acknowledge the wrong done? Or they're an addict and they're destroying themselves and destroying the relationship. Then that, that behavior is destroying the relationship. So you might be willing but unable to, to reconcile. Uh, but in terms of willingness, I think we need to always, as that scripture says, as far as it depends upon you, if it is possible, live at peace with all brethren. Uh, next one. Why do husbands, in brackets men, find it so hard to talk about their feelings and not understand how their wives feel, can't understand why their wives should be so emotional? <laughs> It is a mystery. (laughs) I I think it's a sign of our times that you have to define husband as men. Um, so I, I think that I, I would say to, in answer to this that generally, and I'm generalizing folks very much, please understand that. I would say that generally speaking, men are not as emotionally intelligent as women. Do you know what I mean by that? So in other words, men are not in, as in tune with their own emotions and they're not, they don't read emotions as well as women. Now that's a failing on our behalf. And sometimes, for example, in our relationship, Adi would say, what's wrong? And I'd say, I don't know. It's because I didn't know. And actually, I sometimes need time. I know there's something going on. And so the answer comes out, nothing. But actually, there's something going on. I just don't know what it is. And so it takes me time to work it out. And I think men, husbands, um, we need to do that. We need to learn. We can grow in our emotional intelligence. We can learn to know what's going on inside of us and learn to be intuitive and, and empathetic of our spouses. It's our job, I think, I think, as we love our wives, as Christ loved the church, uh, part of it is learning to understand their emotional need. Yeah. Um, I also just think that. Uh, as, as coming from the women's perspective, I think when we are um, talking to our husbands, it's important that we learn to talk um, about our emotions and feelings, but not in an emotional way, in a more rational way, because it's hard for them to receive what we are saying if we are very emotional and hit up. So we need to learn to express emotion, but in a calmer 
rational way, and then I think it's much easier for them to hear what we're saying. <laughs> there was a blend of claps between men and women at certain times, <laughs> depending on the answer. Uh, great, a few more. Uh, this is uh, on a different type of relationship. Uh, do you have any ideas on how to build relationship with a new daughter-in-law who is quiet and an introvert? Um, again, I think um, maybe a, a foundational principle is that you cannot change your daughter-in-law. Um, she has to want to grow and change herself, and she might be shy, lacking in confidence, and your role is not to change her, your role is to love her. Um, because change happens in an environment of acceptance. And if she senses criticism or a little bit um, of the fact that you disapprove of her, it will shut her down even more. And so I would say I, you need to really reach out to her, just accept her the way she is and love her. Because that daughter-in-law relationship is a long-term relationship. And she's got lots of years to grow and develop as a person. So give her the space and give her the love to be able to do that. Great. Uh, this is a workspace one. My boss is very aggressive uh, to many people, but especially to me. I find this very distressing as I try to be professional in all my dealings. Others shout back at him and he leaves them alone, but this doesn't feel right to me. Any comments? Okay, I think again, it's that thing of uh, what's in my power and what's not, what can I control, what can't I, and what can I change, what can I not, and you can't change your boss. Uh, and, but what you can do is look at your response to your boss. Um, I do remember once in a um, situation, I can't be too specific, but um, in a team setting, there was somebody who I thought had it in for me. It seems they were always critical, always negative, never seemed to accept what I said. And actually, I began to fear this person, I, 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 and I avoided them. Uh, in those meetings, I would sit as far away as I could from them. Uh, if I saw them coming, I would go the other way. Uh, and then I um, began to realize what the Lord was saying to me is, you know what, I called you to love, <laughs> including him. And so I thought, okay, Lord, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so I chose to move towards him. I chose to love him, if you like. I didn't feel like it. Uh, but the interesting thing that happened about that relationship is I don't know what it did to him, but it did a huge amount for me. It empowered me. It took away the fear. I, I would, in those meetings, go and sit right next to him. How are you doing, John? How's your day? And I didn't worry about what he said about me. I didn't worry about his attitude towards me because actually I can't control that. And it helped me enormously. I think loving someone else takes us out of victim mode into agent mode. It empowers us. So you can't change your boss, but love him. Uh, he's maybe coming out of that aggression, out of an insecurity. Who knows? Often there's a front there. Great. We have just two more, so we'll be 10 minutes over, but I think they're good ones. Uh, this is an interesting one. Where does the saying familiarity breeds contempt come from? And is there any truth in this? <laughs> well, I think what I was saying earlier is that um, we begin to take each other for granted. 
you know, when you first meet, you, those, the, the, the positive traits of the other person are new and fresh, and you enjoy them, you appreciate them, so nice to have those positive traits. But as time goes on, you begin to forget them. Is that right? You begin to forget the, 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 what you enjoyed about them. You take them for granted. So in a sense, familiarity breeds contempt. You begin to you, you, you lose respect for what you used to respect. So I think that's, uh, and I think there's a there's a, a lesson for us all in that, and t- is to take a step back and remember those positive things. We often say in couples because they come with all their problems. We say, you know, uh, try and write a list of all those things you appreciate about the other. Remember when you first fell in love. Write all those traits that you loved about that person, and then communicate those things to the other. I'll let Ian and Eddie both share on the last one. So the last one, which uh, I think is so effective for all of us as a parting one, um, and probably if you can give us some hints and tips as we close. Um, I have struggled, I have always struggled with relationships. How or where do I start? Um, and linking with that would be the issue of codependency, um, which I know you shared a bit about, but how do we ensure that we don't get into those codependent relationships or how we build strong relationships uh, going forward? So... <laughs> How and where do you start with relationships and how do you build them in the right way so they aren't codependent? Um, I, I think uh, reiterating what Ian was saying about the foundation, um, being uh, having our needs met in Christ um, is a sure foundation for relationships so that we don't go into relationships in that need mode. I think there might also, also be issues here of lack of self-confidence, Uh, feelings of inferiority and again those have their solution in knowing who we are in Christ Um, and if we are nervous of mixing with other people are we frightened of approaching other people that is an anxiety and a fear that can only be overcome by doing what we fear and it's as we reach out to other people in love and overcome our reticence uh, that we realize that actually are just like us. I'm just like everybody else. Everybody has their own fears and needs, and everyone has their anxieties and difficulties in relationship, and we're all actually the same. And um, reaching out in love to others rather than uh, reaching out with a, with a need, I think, really conquers that fear and enables us uh, to become the, the, the loving people that, that the Lord wants us to be. Yeah, I think um, just to you reiterate, concentrate on yourself, not on what other pe- how other people are responding to you. Does that make sense? We send, tend to think we need to live up to the expectations of others. We're not in control of that. We can't control how people respond to us. What we can control is our response to them and our attitude to them. Uh, and just to say that every problem, as I, I've tried to say in the talk, is that generally speaking, you can trace back a problem in a human relationship to a, a problem in our relationship with the Lord. Um, we haven't got the time to try and explain that. But to say, well, what, 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 am I, what am I missing here in my relationship with the Lord that makes me unconfident or makes me fearful or makes me feel like I'm not loved or whatever it is? Uh, let me get that from the Lord so that I can then become an agent to give. I'm in control of that. Should we give them a huge round of applause? Mm-hmm. <clears throat>